the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Let's go there. Let's just Wait, talk, and about, then Menachem, talk about Reba's divorce. We can't really talk about my sister's divorce, but we can talk about mine. But Menachem. You never talked about your divorce? I talk about my divorce. I like actually the, the more, crazy stuff? No, I more often talk about post-divorce stuff. All right, but, we're going to we're gonna jump right in and we'll we'll know what our boundaries are. I won't, we, you know, you know what your boundaries are. I know what my boundaries are. But I ended up getting divorced in Basden. That's how the divorce happened. And right. you can bring a, somebody along with you. So Menachem was my spectator, my representative, spectator, voyeur in the process, and now is an expert. Well, welcome everyone. Today's a special episode. We're here not only uh, with my wonderful co-host Sheva, but also her amazing brother Menachem Kaiser, mm-hmm. who's a so published I- author. Menachem, can you just quickly tell us about your book, just so everyone knows? Even though it has nothing to do with divorce, we'd love for people to know about your book. Really good stuff with divorce. Underlying concepts that relate. Really? Look, (laughs) Noah, if I ever get divorced, we will argue about the royalties. No, you won't because you're not married and it's pre-marriage. But I just committed. Now I'm going to put it into the prenup. (laughs) I know. Now someone's going to ask you about this. They're going to call on episode, what is this, 33 of ours? And and they're going to say. 33? I think so. Yeah. I think last week was 32. I could be wrong. Anyway, my book is called Plunder, a memoir of family property, not to treasure, available wherever books are sold. It recounts my uh, attempts to reclaim ancestral property in Poland and my um, uh, submersion into the subculture of treasure hunters who uh, mythologize a relative I didn't know I had. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's a nonfiction. That's it's very, remarkable. It's very good. It's excellent. Yeah, everyone should buy it. And any listeners who buy it, I will... Uh, be in touch and I'll send you a signed copy if you pay me. Look at that. And he's also single. So if they buy it and, and then buy another me, one. And send it to me. I'll sign, I'll sign it oh, and mail it back for, for free. Wow. Oh, so he'll even pay for postage. You hear that, ladies? No, no, single. no, no. He will not pay for postage, just to be clear. He will sign it for free. And I'll send it back for free. Assuming postage is covered. No, no. You send it to me and I'll send it back. But I'll pay for that. Very generous. See, uh, single and generous, ladies. All anyone who buys it, I'll send a five dollar Ven, Venmo. Venmo. If you buy it, send me proof of purchase. I'll send you five dollars. What a mensch! This is amazing. How are you still single? Uh, I think he's being ironic, but I can't tell. Well, well I, I'm imagining it's because you've been. <laughs> How am I still single? Just dumb luck. <laughs> Menachem, you're in an interesting position in that you've witnessed divorce as a sibling. What that, what's that been like for you? Uh, ask more specific. More specific. So can you tell us about divorce in your life? I have never been married and therefore I've never been divorced. Which, what, which is what makes you such somewhat a of an expert, good expert. An unbiased, I have an unbiased opinion about divorce. Right. Unbiased opinion, pseudo expert and something you've never been involved in personally. Pseudo expert. Again, I just feel you are you have all these emotions invested in divorce, and I have none of those. No. That's, fair. That's not oh, true, actually. Okay. I kind of well, okay, I'm mostly joking. But there's a part of it that's I don't I think there's legitimacy. But in any case, I I was there for two of my sisters' divorce. Uh, and one was a little bit more distant. It was happening at a remove, but the other one mm-hmm. me. I guess you can He's see pointing that. to Sheva, just so everyone knows. You can't see it since this is audio recorded. Uh, I had a, let's say, uh, I was more involved because there was a lot to navigate. So it was like a little bit more complicated within the family also. And so I was, um, I, I, it's so weird to say I should like really try and say Sheva. You can say I was sort of Sheva's ally. You were older for my divorce. I was older for divorce. And we're closer. And we're closer and there was more mm. to navigate like within the family our family unit mm. for sure like you guys you and the parents had to figure that out and there was let's say let's True. say there was daylight between you <laughs> as okay. we say to, to clarify it's because i had at that point that's when i really 
began my let's let's say my transition away from orthodoxy and the tr the culture that I was raised. So that added a whole extra dimension of stress, I guess. So there was the conflict happening between me and my ex, and then now this new emerging, not entirely new to be honest, conflict between my parents. Whereas my sister was very much aligned with my parents the whole time. So right. that yeah. wasn't an added part of her divorce. A divorce in our community is sort of, it is kind of a family affair, honestly. It's not, it's it's never simple. And so like parents weirdly, it's, a, it's an interesting idea because parents are so involved in marriage. Right. It sort of necessitates them being involved in the divorce so, also. So my, our parents actually said to me in the divorce, they're, they're like, why aren't there divorce support groups for parents <laughs> or for grandparents? You know. Oh, uh, yeah. There aren't? I guess there are not real, not so Why? many. So they can sit down and talk about how much they feel like they failed their kids or they feel like their kids are an embarrassment to them now. Whatever it is they want to process, but they also do go through the experience to some degree. We, we, you know, we, we focus a lot on the divorcing couple and on the children. And in all honesty, not that so much attention mm. needs to be on the parents, but they are affected by it. There's no question they're affected in terms of what I brought my parents. They're definitely affected by... Uh, what was going through my divorce, but I didn't think it was, you know, that big. I'm curious, Menachem, how were you impacted? What? Well, you brought your protein and you brought your parents. Well, the things that I brought them in the process of divorce, right? My anger and my frustration and my sadness, right? And telling it's them about it. Projected onto them. Oh, yeah. Projected onto them in huge Wait, ways. Why? Yes, that's, Wait, that's the that, word. I don't understand. Wait, what do you mean? Why were you, what, what were you projecting and how and in what capacity? Well, look, divorce can be a traumatic experience, right? It can be really shocking. And so in circumstances like that, and I'm sure Sheva will disagree with me if I'm wrong, but it's to say is that like that triggers other things. So I remember specifically the first Passover, I was going through my divorce. I think it was Passover. Yeah, we went home and, uh, uh, you know, my siblings had gone out in the morning to shul and I was just like, forget it. I'm going to sleep in. I'm really tired. I came in from California the kids are going to be up and they're going to be, you know, just chilling. Can you guys make sure that they're okay? Right. So I can get a little bit more sleep. And my parents said, sure. And I woke up the next morning and um, I came upstairs for breakfast and it was later than I expected because I just needed the rest. And I saw that my kids were just kind of sitting on the couch watching their iPads and iPhones. And my dad was, you know, sitting there across the room reading a newspaper and I got really pissed. Because I was like, what the hell is going on? I asked you to take care of my kids and all they're doing is watching TV and you're reading the paper. So, you know, for me, it was bringing up kind of all these things that were left over from childhood and also felt like I needed a lot of support right then. I needed someone to be there for my kids since my marriage was failing. And my parents, in that moment, I didn't see them as helping. And so I was triggered and I was reactionary and I let it out on them. I apologized for it later and we did a wonderful repair, but... Um, that's what I'm talking about is that like, you can be raw and you can be triggered in the process of going through divorce and extra sensitive. And that's the type of stuff that I brought to my parents, right? I showed up as me, but I also projected it onto them. Uh, and that's the type of thing that I'm talking about. Wait, were they involved in your divorce? No, 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 not at all. Did they, did, did they, were they unhappy that you were getting divorced in the sense of like, did they're like, Oh no, maybe no one's making a mistake. Were they judgy about it? Even in like a silent parental way? No, 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 no. They were very supportive the whole way. I think in some ways they also felt helpless because there wasn't much they could do. I mean, we don't come from a huge background of wealth. Um, my parents are both educators, you know, so we've always, you know, just kind of led a pretty modest life. Um, you know, I also have three other siblings, which, you know, are also part of their concern too, just in, in terms of like, you know, what's going on in their lives. Uh, and um, yeah, they just, uh, and they also live across the country. So there wasn't really anything that they could do. You know, my mom came out, you know, once I think to help take care of the boys, my dad offered to be there when we were moving and whatnot, uh, but that didn't really need to happen. Everything was actually kind of easy. Uh, just to get through the moving process. Um, yeah, that was it really. What was it like for you when your sisters were going through divorce? Mm, the older one was, I mean, that, that took five years. So it sort mm -hmm. of dominated the family, mm -hmm. everything. Also, it was, it was different for many reasons, but one of the main ones was she was fighting for full custody. So there was a lot of- There was a lot of- fighting on different fronts Intensity. but it was like kind of like an all hands on deck in a lot of ways i i had i resent we talked about this before like there was resentment within my family that to the extent it dominated everything 
And so like, there was no phone, like you'd call up your parents to like say hi, and that, that would be the topic. Well, that's true of anything in our family. We're a very close family know, for this better was, and worse. I know, but this was years. As in there was no other allowable topic and you're just like, right. it's an interesting sort of resentment because it's kind of justified, kind of not justified. You're like, oh, wow, this has soaked up all the energy. Mm. And there didn't, and we had complicated feelings about that. <laughs> um, but it was the same way when I have two older sisters, remember that we grew up Orthodox and they right. were shockingly 25 years old and single and that's all we talked about for right. those five years when they were dating until they not to the same extent come on this was this was like calling you would call home and be like calling headquarters <laughs> and it would be like okay there'd be like literal strategizing that's true of of and like what was the last like legal machination what was the last like person that can involve what was the least twist in the drama what's like happening yeah, there was there? a lot of Leventing. drama because there was incredible i mean oh god it's incredible it was a very insane story and uh, her ex is a very complicated individual to say the least so there shot was him on the podcast <laughs> yeah that'll be a special episode oh, he, he might even do it <laughs> he'd probably do it um and then for Bacheva's. I was more involved just because I was a little bit older. My role in the family had shifted. Um, we were closer. A, we were closer, but there were certain, there was daylight between Bacheva and our parents. So in sometimes I was even like mediating a little bit. Um, uh, and also, yeah, a lot in a way, it wasn't more complicated, like kind of technical or legal sense, but it was more complicated from an emotional sense, that's for sure. So there's like more to navigate. We had the spiritual complication and that was. Yeah. And also the, my, because it ended up being sort of fought out within the halachic sphere rather than the courtroom. Yeah. Um, my father was actually sort of pushed out because um, just because of his relationship with my sister and his relationship with Ellie. Are we allowed to say that name? Yeah. With Beep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I like in a, the, like the most sort of overt way is that I went to the basement. Right. Was Beit Dean for anyone who's listening. We use that word halachic, which means Jewish legal, and then we also use the phrase Beit Dean, so people which is the uh, the, the court. court. So I was with Sheva when that happened, and it was a. It's not. It wasn't just to decide uh, halachic or you know Jewish legal matters. They we they had signed uh, binding, binding arbitration. arbitration, so it had um, quite a bit of it was legally binding whatever the decision was. So there was uh, there were serious stakes, um, and so uh, the in, I, by default like my father would have been there, but like it was too complicated and messy. And Ellie he had his own thing going on with Ellie's ex, uh, of ex. And yeah, so that was my role was a little bit straight. So what did you, having a front row seat to that experience? And you're saying you were caught in the middle because of the complexity with your father and his relationship with Sheva's I ex. Say, I wouldn't say caught. It was just sort of like, that was my role. And uh, I didn't feel like it was a function, like no one else in my family could do it. And um, just like offer support, offer also like to represent sort of my parents in a way. Well, can like, we take it? we take a step back just because you said that nobody else in your family could do it uh and i just think for everyone else listening like why is it that the rest of your family couldn't help out and you so were kind of put partially very gender. what do you mean help well that's not true because for based in we had two rounds and my right. sister my, my older sister was there for the first round and then we we lived in florida based in took place in new york so we flew in spent a few days we weren't finished and then the second time we flew out then menachem joined us yeah. I uh, so it wasn't really a gender thing, but it was very fascinating to see the difference. I was the common denominator, right? I was there for both. And then to see how things shifted once I brought my brother and not my sister. And it was wildly offensive <laughs> in many yeah, ways. It was, really? it was outrageous. It was, it was so outrageous. So what was outrageous like, about it? Was, it was honestly comic, except it was so devastating. Being a baby? insane they like to the because point, it's like imaginary court it's not imaginary. i wouldn't even say it's court it wasn't court at all it was a very unsystemized approach to arbitration and it just was once i brought my brother they deferred everything to him they, yeah, but not not in a, not in a subtle way they would like turn to, <laughs> they would turn to me and say explain this to your sister because she's a woman <laughs> they would literally say that and you're like, what kind of things crazy. are we talking about? 
What? What kind of things are you asked to explain to Maybe her? Maybe there'd be like legal, like Jewish legal concepts or also they, another time they were like, when they were talking about custody, they were like, she can't understand because she's a mother and her emotions are like clouding her judgment. But they actually would say this. And so the incredible thing is they would totally even not understand the accusation of being misogynist. And to me, right. like the real tragedy that emerged was assholes who don't understand their assholes. As in like, they actually- Are making think, determinations about other people's lives. It's, it's just like you're saying, if people are sort of invoking like a higher system in which uh, someone's getting screwed, generally the woman, um, but yet they're sort of upholding that system with like not even an Indian awareness of the, uh, you know, suppression or misogyny or whatever it is. And so, well, yeah, no, it was really crazy to see. It was really heartbreaking. What was that like? I mean, did you just laugh about it afterwards? Are you kind of like I mean, it was a needing to translate everything? Like you'd go to the restaurant and you'd ask the waiter a question. <laughs> and we was, laugh at my life all the time. Life. It was her life being sort of like steamrolled and just like- We were able to laugh at it in the oh, moment. Oh, it was very funny in the moment, but it was just like also- At the end of the day, I, I got what I wanted. I, I, I happened to have had the upper hand for various reasons mostly because I, I just came off better. But had I not, it would have been a terribly destructive process. So any woman who goes in and it, they don't immediately have the upper hand for whatever reason, it can be so destructive. So in the end, I, I all I wanted really was the ability to move. I wanted mobility. That's really my, was my agenda. I just didn't want to be stuck in Florida, even though I'm still in Florida, but I feel like I'm here by choice. I'm making a choice to keep my kids near their dad, which is important. If I felt stuck or trapped, I think I would lose my mind. So when I got mobility, which I did get, I was ecstatic, that's what I wanted. And yeah. Let's take another step back in terms of what kind of determinations could the Beit Dean have made? Because I'll just tell you in brief, and that's all it really needs, right? Um, my experience with my Beit Dean was very different. And I wonder what it's like, what it would be like for your community in the midst of a pandemic, but in the conservative movement. Okay, you're conservative rabbi, yeah. Right, in the, in the conservative movement, right? They weren't meeting in person because of the pandemic. So everything was done electronically or over Zoom. And it was very simple. I reached out to the uh, Av Beit Dean in the area and um, he set it up. He said, you need to fill out this paperwork and send us the fee and then we'll go and make it happen. And then I did, and he said, on X date, we're gonna be sitting to make these determinations. Made the determination, said, here's your get. That's yeah, what it is. You were just determining the get. We were doing everything. So that's Custody, what I'm talking finances, about. Finances, everything was right. put in so the hands the, of the base the finance ah. was, the fi Like the finances were, that had real legal powers, binding arbitration. We, we agreed that they were gonna decide custody, but that could easily be contested because- That's the only thing that, that can could be, be like, contested. You sort of like agreed that whatever Basin said would be law, but that could be contested. How the so, finances were determined could not. That was what I was most nervous about. Really, at the end of the day, I, when I was gunning for this divorce and it was taking so long, was being yeah. drawn out. It was in yeah. the process in the civil courts and it was also in the process in based in. And I said, whoever gets me to the finish line first, I, I just don't care at this point. And then it felt that the only way to get my get was to get him in based in and to sure. agree binding arbitration with them. My main concern was my ex is way far more right and orthodox and somewhat actually aligns with the Shivish world that having a based in from that representation, they're like, according to, I, I don't know if it's halacha or not, but there, you know, there are some people who say, send the son to live with the dad, send the daughters right. to live with the mom. There right. is, there's precedence for that. So I, mm. I, I, that's, I don't even know if anyone can even get away with doing that nowadays here, but I was just nervous to go into a system where that was a precedence. And for the most part, when you sign binding arbitration, it's pretty hard to fight it in court, except for things relating to custody. So I knew that really, if there was any insane um, um, like consensus that came out, I could at least fight the, the custody part in court. So that was, that was comforting. But then everything else was decided. So you went through the bait team to decide everything that most people would use a set of lawyers for and the bait dean helped kind of inform what the legal civil courts would have to do because they have to be involved in that as well. You need to get civilly divorced as well as religiously divorced. Well, you just kind of submit your agreement right. to the court 
and then right. it just process like that goes through they did, they did something very cool i mean messed up <laughs> at the end but it was kind of interesting because basically they switched uh at the last minute from being binding arbiters to being negotiators which is a messed up shift because it all the power imbalance is insane and also they already know your bottom line they know what you want and it, it's, it it's biases very, their ability yeah, to not, negotiate once you, once you are going to binding arbitration the point is to bindingly arbitrate and so the, what they did right. is they turned right. at the last minute to negotiate and they were able to bully both sides uh but what they did was they took their decision and they put it in a safe so that i mean a literal safe so it literally exists but no one has seen it and that's sort of a method of enforcement of the agreement that they worked out to so I like about that. yeah so in theory if one party says the other party is not upholding their agreement then the that agreement comes out and it becomes immediately effective so uh it's very bizarre it was very bizarre. It was crazy. It was like 20 minutes left. Let's start negotiating. That's really, Ellie had a flight to catch. Yeah, and they just started making <laughs> We were negotiating sides. under the gun. Under what were you negotiating for specifically? Everything. Everything. Money, we spent custody. Weeks in arbitration. Thousands and of dollars. Within the last hour, they switched to let's negotiate. And why did um, they go in that direction? They always try and do that because, as they told my brother, not me, yeah. they said, tell your sister in front of me. Oh my God. That sometimes the worst negotiation is better than the best it honestly it was just agreement like, or something it was like this effect. misplaced that can't be right misplaced sense of righteousness right like they, it was a mis like right they're like oh this is the more righteous thing to do it, which and it wasn't it's like at a certain point yeah you go for negotiation you go for compromise but then at a certain point no like uh, we were way past that level like we, all cards were already laid on the table. I'm like, you're just like, you guys, we've hired you to do that. You guys are getting paid handsomely. Wow. It was gross. All these guys were gross. But to answer your original question, because yeah. at the end of the day, I got what I wanted. And right. so there, we were able to take a step back and see the insanity and somewhat of the humor in the situation. It was pretty funny. Chev <laughs> and I wrote a play about it, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly what's it called what is it called remind me oh, that's a really good question i i submitted it to a contest it placed um i remember i don't know it was it was such a wild and emotionally somewhat traumatizing experience for me that i, I am determined to write more about it and talk more about it but i think i needed these eight years to distance myself from eight it years ago it was no 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 based it wasn't eight years ago because i was seven, living in michigan seven. 2015. it's like six years ago wow that's a long time and that's a lot to go through in the process of divorce on top of it well it was the it divorce it was the divorce yeah <laughs> it sort Jeez. of becomes the, the process is that but in a way i don't know maybe it's like helpful because it sort of formalized all this stuff in what way I don't know. It was like, and you talked about this this past weekend of like the idea of like the get being sort of helpful because you're like, that's the thing you need to get. You got to get the get. And that like, it's not that in a way it represents closure. In some degrees, but then there's also all the logistics. So for me, we didn't have much logistics. We weren't, I wasn't fighting for custody. Uh, you know, he's, he's a good dad. So it was pretty much just somewhat of the logistics of how to run, the, set up the schedule. We didn't really have money. So, I mean, we were fighting about money, but it wasn't much and it was laughable. Um, we, got, we didn't have assets. We had a minivan and- It's good minivan. <laughs> Minivans are important. The power doors. Power doors, minivan. I had to Crucial get rid of it. for a dating really life, by the way. Being my style when I would show up on dates. That's what I'm saying. Minivan. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about moms who show. Mom who I would be. So I'm all for a mom who shows up with a messy minivan on a date because the chances are there'll be popcorn in the cup holder and it's like a pre-date snack. So hell yeah, sign me up. Wait, no, I'm would if you went on a date with a divorced someone who's a divorcee and she had a minivan, would you be more or less interested? Well, I think I'd definitely be more interested. I mean, I certainly like the idea of someone I dating someone I'm dating having kids. Uh, yeah, and minivans are awesome. I think they're pretty cool. Menachem. So mm. Menachem also has dated one divorcee? It depends how you define date. 
Did you take her out to dinner? In one or more divorced women. I did once date this woman uh, and we were like dating for like a month or six weeks. And then she gave me a ride somewhere and I, there was a car seat in the back and I'm like, whoa, why do you have a car seat? And she's like, I thought you were kinky. She's like, oh yeah, that's my kid. And she did not tell me about her kid for like two months. And how did you feel? Nothing. Really? I mean, look, it was a different time in my life. (laughs) She was Orthodox or non-Jewish? Whatever. That's not an answer. (laughs) Whatever. She was not Orthodox. I suppose it doesn't matter. If she's not not Orthodox, she might as well just be whatever. Um, I've dated divorced people. If you went on a date and and she showed up with a minivan, you'd probably be so into it right now. So awesome. So she wasn't Orthodox and she didn't tell you she had a kid. I was, I matched online with this woman who was a little bit older than me who had three kids, who was also, now this obviously had nothing to do with why I was interested, Kiefer Sutherland's ex. And I was like really trying, but she had, she didn't seem interested. That's, that's impressive. I know. I mean, the, guy, the guy was Jack Bauer. I, God, I would have had so many 24 jokes. <laughs> how, do you da- how do you date someone whose entire life is encapsulated in one 24 hour period? Yeah, I know. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, 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 I'm into the idea of dating a divorcee. I don't even think it's a negative. Kids right. is complicated and it depends on the kids, but like- Divorcee without kids is, is insignificant. It's irrelevant. So yeah, she went through a bad break. But, well, no, okay. Yeah, but that's not the way we were raised. We yeah. were raised with huge stigma against dating a divorcee. Really? You, you, our parents would be so happy for you to marry anyone at this point. Fine, but they're yeah. saying the, the goalposts have moved. The goal so, have and so moved. I was like, the idea if you, from a standard, if when you were, well, however old you were, like 22, and you're like starting to date, and you're like, the, the, being divorced is a huge knock. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm saying- But that, at that stage, now you're in our stage. Now I'm in Nebuch stage. <laughs> I'm inching now it's so pathetic my mother has to advertise and promote his availability and of course he's still single that's right yeah yes so uh but dating divorce I think there's huge pluses wait why is it such a Shonda to date someone hold on hold on why is it why is it such a Shonda at one point to date someone who is divorced why can't you do that because they've already been tainted in life in one way well no, it's not tainted. It's, I mean, if you're 20 in, or in your young twenties, which is when we started dating. Yeah. Um, dating someone who's divorced <clears throat> would probably imply they're a little bit older at that point if they had been married and divorced. So there's a lot of questions there. Why are they divorced and why complicate your life? Do they have kids or do they not have kids? It's just more simple. Yeah. And I there have, is stigma. There is definitely stigma. I think it's just, uh, I, within the community dating is also it's about finding the right partner but it's sure. also a sort of pretty complicated family status game mm-hmm. right and so like that's mm-hmm. not as good and so people are like sort of weirdly competitive or sort of like and you're like oh my that it's just a class our family doesn't family. have any service that sort of thing it's a class system. Oh, like a super super rich divorcee that would Ooh, even out that's that a very interesting people, question and it's also super gendered and so like the a man who is divorced with no kids is fine oh totally fine totally always fine. a woman no we are good a wealthy man oh my god they, who's divorced like, with lying, their kids. They'd be lying it's like nothing ever happened in life it's like you were gifted children and you're this amazing person to begin a with woman yeah divorced she's yeah there's she's for sure she's negative quite a few points she's not a virgin which is a big definitely deal. so she's worth half of what she could be one donkey right one donkey instead of two like she's not a zona <laughs> you know a zona which is the term for whore if you have a young from guy in his young yeah. 20s the fact that she was married divorced and not a virgin is definitely something that would be considered all right yeah maybe. if we're talking about ketubot and bride price and all that stuff yeah yeah in the orthodox know. community at least yeah but anyways i'm a i'm definitely wait oh what I are the advantages divorce. you were going to list the advantages of it's a weird thing woman. to say that i prefer divorced Okay, well, this is a listening mm-hmm. audience. Tell Why is right. it a weird? Well, let's explore this kink a little bit. Yes, please. Why are you kink? interested? Not a kink. Kink to want to date somebody who's divorced? Definitely. Proclivity, let's say that. Interest. Pro- neither is it a proclivity. And openness. It's What's the advantage of dating someone divorced? 
I think a lot of things have been figured out. Well, Honestly, I, I would be worried that I I didn't have the maturity to date someone divorced. Like, I, I totally valid. But I'm just saying that in a general way, not in a specific way. <laughs> my maturity is obviously impeccable. Obviously. <laughs> because they care about kids and stuff like that. And you're just like, <laughs> you just have like they've been through a lot. Certainly what get what is mattered has been figured out, certainly to a greater right. extent than people who are single. Right. Uh they may or may not have a minivan. <laughs> no, super kids convenient. is a different question. I then it depends on the kids. I've not been in the position in, in quite some time. They probably have a lot of candy. How do you feel about candy? I like it like once a year. It wouldn't be um, a big selling point. Like, no. Candy? I don't think you're going to fit in with anyone. I'm really interested in someone who uses candy as a selling point. I'm like, they're like, date me because with I have van. candy. I'm like, come into my van because I have candy. I'm like, that's interesting. Sign me up. Some woman pulls up in a white unmarked van along the street and says, come on in. I have candy. I'm sure. there. Interesting. Noted. Also, and okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, <laughs> as a sales tactic, it's curious and I'm into interesting sales tactics. Um, yeah, shit has I can't say that. But, so, what are the sales tactics you have dropped far worse than shit? Shit has been figured out. They're like the baggage has been, yeah. I think, to a greater extent explored. I think it's also mm-hmm. certain sorts of pressures have been decreased in terms of like, do the people who are not the bar is low, the, <laughs> they might be desperate. <laughs> I like they're like, uh. Yeah, and also you're you're going like for the divorce people I've met, they really know what they don't want. True. Which is but can't you say this? I mean, you're not dating 20 year olds anymore. Menachem is mid 30s. Right. You're dating for the most part people upwards yeah, of 30s. You know, you I'll some- put it this way. Let me put the opposite. I think I, as a potential partner, have a huge honking red flag, which is that I haven't been in a long-term relationship. Like a year, like more than a year and a half. Let's say, we talked right? about this. We talked about this a while back. Stigmas I, for single men versus stigmas for single women. And the, it's and not the, even a stigma. And I, I'm like, that is. Do you I, find that women are thrown off by they that? Should be. They should be. <laughs> I'm not saying they're penalizing me. I'm no. I don't think I've dated anyone who's like, I'm not going to date you because of this. But I think all the sort of like emotionally intelligent women have been like, uh oh, and they're 100 right. <laughs> they're like. Yeah, I have not been tested. I like in, in a lot of ways. I haven't like stepped up in a lot of ways. And a hundred percent, it's like, and I, if I met a woman who hadn't been in a serious relationship, I'd be like, mm, what's up? They have to have pretty. I think I have like relatively good reasons, but what not are great reasons. reasons. Travel. Well, beyond travel. But again, but that's an interesting because like, what is the cause and effect there? And so right. I think like there could be an underlying problem, which I've therefore chosen to like uproot my life basically every 18 months since I was 17 years old. And so like valid, uh, yeah. Or you have to sort of like recreate like a new kind of relationship and not in like the old boring model. Like maybe it's a little bit more fluid. Maybe it's a little bit more open in every sense of the word. Maybe it's more like figuring out what stability and commitment means. Fine. And I like that. I think the last few years, those conversations have progressed quite a bit, especially like in my circles. Like you're not getting into relationships now without having a conversation about whether or not it's open. That's, That's for sure. That was not true 10 years ago. There was sort of a default, I believe where I was dating, there was a default. And now like you at least have to make it explicit that is not open. And I was like, That's great. Um, that's not me being a proponent for open or otherwise, but you're saying you have to sort of define uh, terms and boundaries, which you didn't have to before. It's so, very interesting. Awesome. You, speaking in, you, you know, we mentioned Clubhouse before, but the conversations on the dating scene, there are two things that are, are, are really clear. One um, is that people expect you to really know yourself and know more about yourself now that you're after divorce, right? And certainly red flags that come up for a lot of people is, do they have their shit together? How much do they know about themselves? Are they emotionally intelligent in some way? Uh, and then there is also, I think, um, this element of, of, you know, can you speak about yourself openly so much so that you can just be on the same page? And a lot of conversations that take place, at least I've found, they go directly to kind of what are your sexual interests? Um, not in a really kind of like, um, I want to say an erotic way or anything like that, but more of a way of just kind of saying, are you the right fit? And for a lot of people, sex is such a huge priority that if it's not going to fit from the get-go, they're not even going to go anywhere near it. 
there was a new app that a friend was talking to me about. I think it's called the field or something like that. Not uh, new. It's been around a while. Okay. So it's, oh, so you're on it. That's good to know. I'm familiar with the app. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the field, Menachem? No. Thank you. You're a real wonderful guest to have. Appreciate it. I'm not insane. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what it's about. Just tell us what okay, it's about. Know, which I may or may not have been on. Is a, <laughs> it was originally designed to facilitate threesomes and for you know multiple sums. So for couples to find. That was the original angle. Basically like Tinder for couples. Swingers. Okay. Not swingers. Absolutely not swingers. So it was mm. the idea of like people looking for a third. Mm. And so... Um, but it sort of very quickly sort of grew past that as idea of is I would say now it is a dating app for uh, with like built in extreme openness towards not just sex but uh, identity mm. which is a big deal so like people yeah. who are like asexual even so so basically I would say people who sort of prioritize their uh, sexual identity which is both which is a bigger term than just sexual proclivities um, and looking yes. for appropriate partners. And so, yeah, there's, it's, and I do a lot of sort of, and there are even vanilla, quote unquote, vanilla people on the field. And just because they want that to be out there. It's sort of like, again, they're going to prioritize that channel of communication. Yeah. Fascinating. So that, that's what I've read about it. <laughs> so you <laughs> That's what you've read from the outside. Yeah. That's the, I've been, <laughs> that's what yeah, my friend told me. Yeah, so that's that's field. Definitely not the field. So how many field. foursomes have you been in? Define foursomes and been and in. <laughs> define, define. I would, no, no, yeah, not definitely not with my real name. I'm not insane. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Uh, wait, do you guys talk about like your sex life on this thing? Not very much. We haven't gone there yet, but I think Perhaps that would make a good episode. Such a discussion. I think that would be a very, the dating and relationship episodes seem to be our most downloaded. Uh, yeah. So I, I wonder if we talk about sexual interest post-divorce, that would be I think interesting. An interesting meta conversation to have about what do you stand to lose or In what is the of, fear? What is the fear of being like very explicit? And so that's an interesting conversation. What do you stand to lose to experience? You have, talk you about have a it. tremendous amount to lose to talk about. Yes. It. You have a tremendous amount to lose because you get stigmatized as a relationship therapist in one second. I mean, how it affects pe how people. It would affect you professionally. Professionally, a hundred percent. I actually think it could bring in a lot of clients. People love talking about sex openly. I understand, but there's a lot of people out there who are very sex negative, and it would that's be very detrimental for you expressing anything that's outside of the mainstream opinion. And so, like a hundred percent. And so, like I would also there's professional stakes for me. And so, like because right now I have a book in the public sphere, and that is uh, not necessarily primarily, but a large. He's been there's like Jewish communities in there. I think a lot of them would be, it would be, it could be easily very, very easily weaponized against me. I hear that. But what, when you say mainstream, what do you mean? Right. Cause that mainstream could mean different for you than it does for me. And certainly a lot of our listeners. So what's mainstream from your perspective when it comes to sure. sexual. I think like thing, it would be, uh, if she's talking about with relationship therapists, I think let's say a mother is like, I'm not going to bring my daughter into the space where this person has been publicly acknowledged uh, let's say non-vanilla tendencies or like it's just non-vanilla is mainstream, right? So we're talking general, missionary. No, not right? necessarily, like whatever, whatever. I no, mean, that's just a sexual position. <laughs> right. But there are plenty of uh, what I'm talking about though, like all the different things you can do. Missionary is considered pretty vanilla in terms of sexual that's just position. I, really, I know that. But let's, say for example, let's say if one of the two of you, it's a pretty vanilla position. That's all I'm going to say. Let's let's two okay. Let's say one of the two of you said on this podcast that like uh, a, a a couple that you know invited you into their bedroom um, for a sexual encounter, and you talked about that. Okay, I think if you later on and that became yeah. public knowledge, and you had a couples therapy, are you not for a second that that's not affect like that is going to impact? And like it's very easy to imagine one of the part one of the people in that party. Judging you for that. Well, it's like, a, it's a not... larger question beyond just sexual discussion of how much is a therapist or a coach or a rabbi or me or or a writer <laughs> meant to reveal about themselves personally. You know, you, some people really want a blank slate when they go to a therapist. You just reflect me. Other people want to know that that the therapist can relate to some degree. That's absolutely right, and I would imagine for every you know potential client who would get turned off by your sharing your experiences or interests, 
there'd be two or at least three more who would I be know. interested in using oh, you in that way because they oh, know right. you would go. Well, it depends on the population that you're appealing to, right? Okay. If you're sticking within your community, that might be the limitation. But what I'm telling you is that I, like- I, I, don't, I like, I think if you're in like very small pockets, then yeah, people are going to be like sex positive, like awesome. But I think in a wider sense, I think like the amount of people who are going to be judging you is going to far away. I don't know. I wouldn't be the general population and potential clients. Is that I do have one foot in the religious world still yeah. professionally. I'm someone who can speak the language and go into schools or in communities and talk about you're never orthodox issues. That's different. Important. That's different. Yes. It's important to have somebody come in and talk about a lot of these things, not necessarily non-sexual yes. proclivities, but also in general relationships. And, but and you would get that even for talking about sex. I, however, could be the person that could go between all those communities because I could go in and they could just look at me and be like, eh, he's conservative already. Nebuch, no, don't no. worry about it. There's nowhere else for him to go. And you they wouldn't even let me in to begin with. Counting of your you're not, you're not threesome, invited. you would not be invited in to speak. Yeah. They would they would defrock me from the moment because I had a threesome, right? I, I'm gonna be like I, you know I did uh, a fellowship with quite a few conservative rabbis. Uh huh. And so this actually came up quite. Fellowship a bit. is not a code word for anything, right? No, no, no. I was part of. I, 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 <laughs> you what? Where did you go to rabbinical school? No, Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies. Okay, so I did a Wexner. You're probably. Oh familiar. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was a lot of Zieglers, a lot of things, and this came up a lot. What the lot. idea of having threesomes? Well, how much you reveal, how much you are going to get judged in terms of if you're a sort of like, if even like they've like gone a lot of, with like sort of with gay rabbis, but if there was like people were pushing that, like trans yeah. or uh, a searching queer or open people in an open relationship, and they're like, yeah, you would get shot down which for me was like kind of surprising, but none of them were comfortable discussing sort of like outside the boundaries. Which yeah, were, I think- uh, within, within like my circles were really sort of boring and like mm-hmm. vanilla. I, I hear what you're saying. I actually think that's going to change a lot. I, um, I think people are coming far, becoming far more capable at talking about sex and they're realizing how essential it is to really be open about sex and to know what your sexual interests and proclivities are. Uh, and so to be able to speak about those without a sense of shame or judgment has actually been really useful. Uh, I, I dated a woman who nicknamed me the kinky rabbi because she, you know, what we did was just not vanilla. And so she really enjoyed that. And she was also kind of shocked at the sense that I was a rabbi. So there is that, you know, was I think. Extra hole in the sheet? Um, no, it wasn't anything like that. Um, but, you know, she was kind of shocked that, you know, the difference between the two, my sexual interests and also my spiritual interests. Uh, I would argue, though, I'm sorry. Did your sexual and spiritual interests coincide? But that's exactly what I was about to say. No, no, no. That's exactly. <laughs> I don't think anyone heard that. What did you say? It's a very inside baseball. So for everyone who wants to know, he's reciting the last, one of the major lines in the Alenu, one of the concluding prayers where we bow and we acknowledge God's sovereignty. (laughs) Yes, I am. Uh, I will say this. I think there have been some prayerful moments and certainly times when each of us have said, oh God. But but I do think there are... I'll tell you about the time a woman literally cut a hole in my sheet. I would love to know more about that. Literally cut without my permission. And said, this is just how we're doing it. She had heard about it. And she literally cut a woman. She was oh, and she yeah. wasn't even Orthodox? No, she wasn't. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Someone she just was cut Orthodox my, or less. Someone cut my linen. Whatever. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, but I do think there is something to say about, yeah, sexuality and spirituality coming together in that way. Um, you know, no pun intended when I say coming together. But my point is to say that, like, there can be something incredibly spiritual about sex if you do meet the person exactly where they're at, right? There is something to be said about being not only naked physically, but naked spiritually and psychologically in that way to make yourself vulnerable and open to someone so much so that you can be completely present without shame and also see them in that way. And I do think that is a spiritual element to sexuality. And I also think there is something to be said about the way you relate to people during and and prior and also post that, right? How you respect what happened, right? I do think there is a way to have purely sexual relationships 
that is also spiritual if you maintain certain boundaries and a level of respect for the individuals involved. But there has to be a mutuality to it as well, right? There needs to be an agreement of some kind to know that this sex is, you know, good for the relationship and good for you as individuals, more so than simply being transactional and as if you're using someone. In general, dealing with people, dealing with people with respect sexually and not sexually is a very good starting point. To begin with. And consent is huge in that. Well, I would say consent is required. Absolutely. From the beginning. Agreed. Menachem, do you believe in consent? Do I believe in <laughs> consent? Yes. You know, it is a faith base. <laughs> do you abide by consent? Consent. Do you it, abide by consent? consent? Are you a rapist? Whoa. I wasn't going there. That was the negative part of the question. No, consent, I think we can all agree that consent is great. <laughs> Two thumbs up for consent. Yes, everyone all, all in for consent. Menachem, well, thank is... you for being on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on that note, we thank you for coming. Being our guest. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. As Menachem. always, our, our resident divorce expert. Well, wait a second. Can we just ask, you know, as our resident pseudo divorce expert, Menachem, uh, who has never been married in his life, can you tell us just like one thing you've learned about divorce that's really important for everyone else to know? One thing I've learned, I feel like he's uh, stepping up here. This uh, is your Torah on one foot moment, okay? I'm cool. Was the question, you know. One thing about divorce that I've learned about divorce. Hmm. I, okay, I think the one thing I've learned, honestly, through Bacheva slash Sheva is opportunity is the wrong word, but it's sort of like there is a rebirth. There's definitely a rebirth after, which, you know, I wouldn't have anticipated. Um, and Bacheva sort of really reimagined herself, her identity, and her, like, values in a way that wouldn't have happened without divorce. It certainly would happen without, like, uh, that sort of not it wasn't a clean break, but a sort of a rebirth in which she said, "What matters to me? What do I need?" Started asking herself questions that she had not been really able to ask her uh, before it. Mm. So, I'll say that. That's the thing I often wonder. I mean, I, I I often wonder about people who are still married, and what do they know about themselves, and what do they know about relationships? And I certainly think that this whole thing and going through divorce has forced me in a position to kind of reexamine those things. We'd be uh, pretty cool if this podcast pivoted to pro-divorce. Like you said, wondering you, about you, that. It's every married person to get divorced. You like want to get married again after to the well, same person. If you person, really fine. want to know yourself and you're gonna be a developed human being, <laughs> really divorce is what's required. To be you want right. That's exactly right. I wonder. I wonder a lot about people who haven't gone through an experience like this. I know that people go through, you know, health and experiences and what now and, and medical trauma that you know, causes them to really kind of reevaluate their lives and reprioritize things. I think divorce has a really wonderful way of doing that for people too. And so maybe, maybe people should get divorced just to learn more about themselves. I'm going to say it's the, it's the conflict that trying to figure out who you are in relationship to other that creates the growth moment. And for us, it happened to have ended in divorce. I think most couples do have that conflict. I can't imagine a relationship that doesn't have that conflict as people are getting older and changing to figure out who am I now in my 30s different than when I was in my 20s and how does that relate to you so the, the inquiry and the challenge and the conflict can still happen it doesn't necessarily end in divorce you know they found a way to bridge it to some degree I, I am happy to turn this into a pro-divorce podcast <laughs> I think that would be really interesting if we did the pro-divorce episode. We have to do a sex episode and we have to do a pro-divorce episode. Well, uh, they can be combined because the, the sex is better after That's divorce. exactly right. One of the reasons we're pro-divorce is because the sex is better. Put happy couples on and then convince them to get a divorce. First of all, we are having sex. That's number one. So that's different than married couples for the most that's part. That's a very good point. And we're probably having sex with people we really want to have sex with. And yeah. I think the other point that we were making... <laughs> <laughs> and, and depending on what you know about yourself and the people that you're working with yeah you could have really good sex depending on what that's like yeah depending on your level of spirituality that's right that's right that's right amen amen okay menachem you uh is that how we <laughs> what'd you say 
Send us your sex stories. Send us your sex stories. Please do. And we'll be happy to not publish them or share them with anyone. We're just going to send them, out them, them out them for, in a dramatic reading. Right. Absolutely. Or he'll write a new book about it. No, I won't. Non-vanilla but, uh, orthodox sex. But he is very good at dramatic readings. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm going to just share quickly, then we'll end, is that please. my brother is a lot of fun, as you can see. Yeah. And um, he has a very um, fun, close group of friends. And they're, they're all very intelligent and literary. They have this ha- hobby pastime where <laughs> it's called dramatic reading. And what they do is they read dramatically a text interchange between, for the most part, two dating individuals. Yeah, the best is when people first meet. So that initial flirting banter, which is mortifying to have read yeah. out loud. Yeah. Um, I had this done to myself recently. Oh God, this is hilarious. Nothing can be more embarrassing in life than to hear back mm. what you've written in a flirty, bantering type of way. It's very eye-opening though. Yeah, you gotta really, do this. I really recommend it. <laughs> I recommend everybody Maybe experience. Maybe we should do it on the podcast. Oh, we should do That's it. what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, I'm in beep. Oh, wait, a lot of it happened on Clubhouse. Oh, no, you probably no, have it's, She slid into his DMs. You're in DMs, right? Oh, yes. 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 Uh, we should dramatically we should read no ones. We'll do any number of them, okay? And we'll do yours too, and maybe the Nathans as well. I'm sorry. If you guys agree, no, no, no. We need to do a recording consumption for everyone else. No, no, there's Elias. Elias is very good, good, but I will literally pay for professional actors to do it. We would pay Elias. I think that would be really worth it. I, I'm not kidding. We want that to be our. That will be our most popular episode. I completely agree. Oh, so here's what we could also do. We could have listeners send in. If they have text conversations that they would like to have read dramatically, they're going to curate. They're gonna curate. So what? You bring, right. in, you bring in like a couple and then like spring it on them. Also, part that'll of make the them Sitting there as the people are watching you reading your text messages out loud as you cringe and die of mortification. Yeah. Ask ask beep uh, this weekend if she'd be open to it. I am not going to ask her that. No. Mm-mm. We she, didn't really. Well, she probably listens to the podcast. So, so she'll make her own determination. <laughs> You're not being it's asked. really, 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 really part of the process of character development. So if you want to grow and develop as a human, that's what I recommend. I completely no agree. Pressure. So we're going to work that one out as well. We got three wonderful ideas, or at least two wonderful ideas. Yes. Pro-divorce and uh, the sex that goes into it and then reading old text flirtations. Dramatic readings. <laughs> Dramatic readings. Menachem, Menachem Kaiser, everyone, please check out his book, Plunder, which I'm sure is available on Amazon, right? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. He's still single, ladies. He's obviously got a wonderful sense of humor. He looks like a relatively good-looking guy. We'll add a picture of him, maybe with a shirt and tie or something with a collar, if he's got it. <laughs> I, do play, I, I, I do play a good Jewish mother occasionally. Uh, and uh, please send us your uh, sex stories if you have them or text messaging flirtations that you have that you'd like us to read in dramatic and fashion. Yeah, listening. That goes to you too. Yes. Lydia, and, this Lydia the, 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 our one time, our all time listener, she was part of the dramatic reading. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She read, she played. She read yours. She read, uh, she played you. The other part. No, she played no, she other side. She played, yeah, played, she played the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Send, send, you, you can find us at the, the Jewish divorce project.com or email us at the Jewish divorce project at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media at Instagram and Facebook at the Jewish divorce project. Just that the Jewish divorce project. Again, thank you so much, Menachem Kaiser. You've been wonderful. This has been a great interview. Uh, we'd love to have you back. I think right at some point. Every week. Every, every week now. now. Yeah. So now this turns into a threesome. I didn't even realize that. There and a kinky one at that because you're siblings. Way to make it awkward. <laughs> Sorry. Had to be done. Mm-hmm.